I don't think there's been a more important time for us to really begin to realize and recognize that so much of what we do has consequences that we don't want. And we have to start consciously choosing the things that will help. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer, a slow living apparel and lifestyle brand. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having constantly in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. Come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Hi, Emma. Hey, Mom. We've got a lot of things going on this week. Where do we start? Well, the first most exciting thing that is going on is that the Almanac is currently open for enrollment for the spring season. The Almanac. Let's talk about the Almanac for those listening that might not know what it is. Well, it's our online platform, virtual slow living community, and it's totally private just to the lady farmer community. And we have all kinds of slow living community like activities, intentions we set together. We have workshops, we have little get togethers, we have prompts and journals and recipes. It's just kind of like your hub for all things slow living, kind of no matter where you are in your journey. So what do you mean by private? Well, it's private because we don't sell to advertisers so we don't sell your data and you're on it because you want to be there and you're not seeing things that you don't want to see unlike some other social media networking platforms which are great I love those too those serve a wonderful purpose but if you're really looking for a kind of focused closed community where you're guaranteed to be interested in pretty much everything that you see on there and probably really get along with all of the other people in there because you have similar interests. The almanac is where you want to be. So that's what I mean by private. Your data is safe. Just to give people an idea what we're talking about, for the winter season, we've been exploring the theme of rest. And as you said, we have all these activities and there are articles and all kinds of online gatherings. We do a live podcast during the season and uh, we have a book club. So we read a book together, and then we meet up to discuss it. And um, we share poems and recipes and photos. And really the best part about it is that the members actually get to know one another and they offer their own experiences and advice regarding all these different topics that we explore in there. And we're about to start our new kind of focus activity around a new theme at the spring equinox. So as you just said, the winter was rest. And mom, what's the next theme? The new theme is cultivate. Yeah, so we're so excited about cultivating, cultivate, which 
in our eyes, we think can be literally anything from cultivating a garden, a farm, a little pot or a windowsill, or not even a plant. It could be a book, a painting, a business idea, a new thing you want to do in your life, something that you want to cultivate. Yeah, any kind of long-held dream or project that you want to coax from the fertile soil of your soul up into the sunlight where it can grow. Just like we did throughout the winter, we'll be practicing these ideas through a variety of content, activities, gatherings, workshops, ideas, inspiration. So how can people join us in this up-and-coming season in the Almanac? Well, you really just have to find the link. If you go to ladyfarmer.com or if you're on Instagram, you click on the link in our bio. It's all linked there. You just register. You decide if you want to join uh, monthly or annually. If you join us for the entire year, you save something like 50 or 60%. So we hope to see a lot of you in there for the up and coming season. It's so fun to have new people and get to know you and your interest and your expertise that you can share with others and benefit from what they have to share with you. So come on in. And in the meantime, we have this wonderful conversation coming up in our episode today. We're talking with Kathy Hattori of Botanical Colors, which is the premier resource out there for all things related to plant dyeing. Not only is it the place where you can get the whole soup to nuts information about how to create all these wonderful dye colors from the earth for all of your textile projects, but they carry all the supplies you need too. And as you'll hear Kathy describe, all of their dyes and plant extracts are sourced with the highest of standards and concern for quality of the products and also the utmost concern for how they're produced, how the companies take care of their workers and the environment. But before we go to that conversation, we should mention one more thing we've got going this week. Yes, so this Saturday, March 13th, meaning tomorrow, if you're listening to this, we have our Grow Your Own Food Intensive, and there is still time to sign up. So if you haven't signed up yet, come join us. Wow, there's so much good stuff going on. And speaking of good stuff, we're going to turn it over now to Kathy Hattori of Botanical Collars. You know, a lot of people talk about what they want to do and that they always had this dream and they finally got to realize their dream. Well, so mine was more like I had a nightmare and it scared me so much that I sat straight up in bed. And it was that moment where I realized if I don't start doing the things that I really want to do, I'm going to be dead soon. And I'm going to be really mad because I didn't get to do the, you know, some of the things that I really enjoyed. And so It was that kind of nightmare that woke me up and gave me the motivation to to decide to leave a corporate job. I'd been working in corporate environments for 25 years and just decided, okay, I need to be able to do something else. And I think it was one of those, you know, conspiratorial universe things because within two years of having that dream, I also lost my job and got a divorce, had to sell the house, and I was kind of like freed to do what I wanted to do. And the things that were holding me back were me being terrified of pretty much everything. 
How long ago was this? This was in uh, 2003. Okay. So 17 years ago. Wow. And what do you think you were so afraid of? Well, when you're so used to getting a paycheck every two weeks, you know, for pushing papers or doing whatever you do within this very structured environment, having to create every day and then also have that day bring in some level of revenue so you can keep going, that's scary if you've never really done that before. But, you know, it was really interesting because so many people were very supportive, even if they weren't in the field that I was going to go into. They were so supportive that they just said, whatever you need, I'll help you with it. And so I had one, you know, people from my tech background, those people were helping me with kind of some ideas with marketing, websites and internet were still pretty static. So there wasn't a lot of focus on that. You know, things were still really being done by um, personal contact and, and building a customer base. And then I landed a a position at a, a studio. So then I was able to kind of work side by side with someone and essentially apprentice so that I could understand better how to make all of this skill and information work together. So did you know when you had that nightmare that what you wanted to do and what you loved to do was was natural dye? Was that always in there or did you have to get there somehow? I loved natural dyeing, but I was really not very good at it. You know, I had been doing it since the 80s, but really I had been working on very specific art projects that were trying to get me to create something from dyes and and yarn into a woven piece, that kind of a thing. You know, I didn't wake up and go, oh yeah, I'm going to work for a natural dye studio. It was really more, oh, I know I'm not going to do this corporate position anymore. And I am going to figure out what I can do in the textile world because I that's what I had done quite a bit of work in. So it was really because I got this position at the natural dye studio in Seattle that I was like, oh, this is even better because I wasn't really that good of a weaver and I wasn't a really good knitter. (laughs) So it was like, oh, but I could do this part. And so that's kind of what led me to it. Were you at the beginning of a learning curve about the natural dyes when you, when you got the job at the studio? It was a natural dye studio, right? It was Earth Hues. I don't know if you know them. They are- oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. Were you just starting to learn all of that when you started working there? No, I had been doing quite a bit of, of dyeing, but I wasn't doing it every single day. And so in, right. in this particular instance, I was in a dye pot every single day. So then you just begin to build the facility in creating color and creating color consistently and understanding, you know, how to apply color to all these different fibers and fabrics and yarns. So that was the boost it gave me was actually being able to keep going. And then we also had a couple of customers who were really trying to figure out how to use dyes in a larger production setting. So then I would travel to work with them and was either doing print work or actual production work and helped me understand better what I wanted to do. Can you tell us a little bit before we get too far into it about botanical colors and what, so what you're literally doing today? Botanical colors has a couple of main 
things that we do. The first is we sell online natural dyes to artisans and producers. So if people are dyeing matter for socks, when you're making a beautiful red sock and you need dye stuffs, then we have those dye stuffs available. And the second thing that we do is we actually have our own custom dye studio here in Seattle. And so we do custom dye runs for, usually it's an apparel or a smaller independent brand. So folks who are doing, like they want to do an indigo project or they want to do uh, a natural dye line, then we'll actually produce their pieces for them. So they send to us sewn product and then we return to them dyed product. So tell us a little bit about how it got started and a little bit of that story. So in 2003, I, I left my job and then I ended up working for the dye studio Earth Hughes um, until 2010. And then in 2010, I started Botanical Colors. Oh. So we're now 10 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. When you started out in 2010, is this what you had in mind or has it changed in any way yeah. from what you thought it would be? It changed quite a bit. You know, we used to be so much smaller. It, it was just me. I was the employee. And then now we have six employees. You know, we're growing, which is really wonderful. And so I have to say that I never thought that one could have a career in natural dyes. It just didn't exist, really. Yeah, I mean, and I think you've had a big part in, in making that a thing. Like, you're such a big yeah. influence in the whole industry. It's funny, yeah. I don't think of it that way, yeah. you know, because I'm still in the weeds on all, everything that we do. So it, sometimes you don't really get the reflection back. I mean, I understand because when we do our feedback Friday, you know, there's a lot of people that show up or when we send out a newsletter, we do get responses. So I, I am seeing that it's there. You know, it's hard to place yourself, right? It's not like I have an entourage that's kind of out there. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy's people. <laughs> yeah, really? Well, no, I know that like, I don't even remember when it was, but not that long ago that I thought I want to, I want to dye something. And I was Googling around in like places on the internet where you could get this little bit or that bit of it. But you definitely had like the, the comprehensive thing where this, this was like a, a really legitimate source of these things. And it, and it was like, okay, these are my people. This is my source. And I imagine a lot of people had that same experience so that you you sort of became it pretty humbling you know because I I know that even though we do some level of dying every single day you know there's there's a whole bunch of people that I learned from and there's a whole bunch of people that they learned from I mean this this tradition has been going on for a long yeah. long time so there oh, yeah the knowledge base is so deep but it's not super well cataloged or, you know, captured, right. you know, every day's a discovery, but you also know in the back of your head that somebody else has already done this. Super comforting to me. Like, oh, okay, this can't be that hard because somebody else has, has done it and they've probably done it better, but it's not like I'm out on a spaceship somewhere. <laughs> it's very much grounded in, in a tradition somewhere around the world. You provide a place where you, you can click a couple of things and voila, there's the instructions for what you want to know. Mm -hmm. And it's all in one place. And I think mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a really, really nice resource. And I don't know how many times I have consulted your 
how to page because for the life of me, you know, can't remember those proportions or those how much mordant per pound of pounds. Yeah. Yep. And I, I'm constantly having to refer to that. And there it is. It's, it's all, all right there. And the other thing is about what you said is such a, a neat mix of like traditional knowledge and science and there's ways to do it, but there's also many ways to do it. What I found is, you know, you, you start, you know, you start with the instruction or whatever, and then you're free to, you know, experiment or see if this works or that works. And I think your resource page and your, the videos that you put out and the feedback Fridays that you do really give people a lot of room to play with it. Yeah, it's a great mix of all kinds of information and expression. And the nice thing is you're so close to the natural world all the time, you know, yes. just inherently attached. So for me, that's super important just to kind of keep an eye on the fact that, you know, somebody grew this, somebody grew this somewhere, you know, there's, there's just that really great feeling that you get that you're using a crop that somebody spent some time cultivating and, and growing and nurturing. Now for the dyes that you guys sell, do you create all of those in-house? No. So what we do is I have a number of suppliers around the world and many of them I've worked with for almost 20 years now because wow. I worked with them prior to botanical colors and then, and then now, and I have visited them. So I go to their factories. I look at what they're doing. I look at their plant sources. We check out, you know, are the employees doing okay? It just depends on where they are. But in most cases, they are smaller companies, you know, family run or mm -hmm. small organizations. But they're all really, really proud of what they do. And so you see that throughout the entire organization that they run, that they take care of their people. One of the companies I go to provides lunch every day for all the employees. They provide health care. They have an actual company doctor and a clinic there. Is this have... in the United States? Mm -mm, it's in India. Mm -hmm. And they also are really supportive of both having women in management and also providing scholarships for girls in the community. And what a fun part of your job that you get to make these connections and maintain these relationships and support these businesses. It's, it's kind of a dream, right? Yeah. Because I can look out at the stuff that we have and you know, to the blossom, I know, oh, that person grew it. And I know their story. And I know what they're trying to do. And like this coming year, we're really reaching out to Pacific Northwest growers who could potentially do dye plants. And wow, the response has been so amazing. Already we have, we have four of them. And, you know, we're kind of figuring out who's going to do what you know, among them. Again, a few years ago, this was impossible. I mean, mm -hmm. I was begging people to grow because I live on a city lot. You know, we don't have enough room to grow enough to actually sell. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you grow your own dye plants at all? Or have you ever done that? I used to grow my own dye plants, but in our household, we grow food. <laughs> yeah. So we grow for a couple other families as well. So we kind of have our own little front yard CSA. And so then pretty much all the land that's used for 
garden is food growing. And so I'm relegated to deadheading dahlias. <laughs> that's what I get to do. And th that's my dye plant. <laughs> We've done yeah, that a few times. So I wanted to ask you, like you're talking about these, these small companies, these family-owned companies that are abroad. For instance, like would there be one company that all they do would be like the indigo? I mean, is there Does enough it buy worldwide? Dye? It kind of depends on the company. They all are different. Many of them have at least a couple of different dyes. If you look at the world of natural color, right, the natural color right. could also be natural food colors. So because so many of the synthetic food colors have been either restricted or banned, you know, because of their health implications, you know, some of these things, it's like you buy a Trader Joe's, you know, chicken thing that is supposed to look kind of brown gravy-ish and, and, you know, nice. Hopefully that brown is a brown from a natural source, like, you know, maybe onion skin or... Dying foods. Well, they're enhancing the color of an ingredient oh. in a lot of processed food, right? Because mm. you want it to kind of look a certain way. I mean, yeah. I don't know much about this part of the world, but... Right, right. But that, there's that. And then as a byproduct, sometimes they'll have another dye that comes out of it. It's not suitable for food, but it could be suitable for another use. And so I, I talk with those people a lot too, because they have oh, like kind of the B side of the color that they're extracting. Then there's people that are just doing textile dyes. The textile That's world amazing. is, you know, it's among the top three polluters globally. Yes. You know, heavy, heavy water use, heavy energy use, and then the textile dyes and assists and post-treatments, very few of those are regulated. So it's really easy to work in the organic chemistry side, meaning, you know, carbon-based chemistry, and create all these products for textile processing that are either untested or can be harmful. And if you yes. have looked at any of the Greenpeace monographs and white papers on textile processing, you'll kind of see what they're talking about. Like in 2010 to 2015 or 2016, they were really active in trying to get companies to detoxify their supply chains. So companies are starting to look, you know, it's sort of a sideways glance right now, but they are looking at natural colorants and there are premium denim companies that will use natural indigo. So there is a market for it. It's nothing like the market for synthetic colorants, but it's starting right. to grow a little bit. Hey guys, it's Emma here. If you've been following us for any amount of time, you know that I love making seasonal playlists. I think that music is truly the best way to really anchor yourself in a moment of time and an experience and I think that music is such a huge part of slow living and I truly love making these playlists for you guys. So uh, I am so excited to introduce a really fun collaboration that we have this coming up season for the spring playlist with Numero Group. I can definitely tell you that if you've been stuck in a musical rut, the Numero profile on Spotify, Apple Music, or Deezer is definitely the place to go. They have dozens of playlists for every kind of listener, from pastoral folk to cosmic country, every flavor of eccentric soul. And what's super cool is it's like a treasure chest of rich stories and histories of forgotten musical legends. So I really love listening to whatever Numero group puts out 
the Lady Farmer Spring playlist is no exception. You guys are going to love this one. So it is on Spotify. We'll also make a compilation on YouTube so you can listen there as well. And uh, if you're looking for my playlist that I made for spring, it's going to be inside Almanac. So another huge perk as to why you want to join. But in the meantime, follow Numero Group. We'll link them in the show notes and enjoy the spring playlist. Do you think that natural dye is in fact scalable to the degree that it kind of needs to be for some of these bigger brands? Like you've done some work with bigger brands. Can you tell us about what that's like and the possibilities there? The brand that we've worked with most consistently is Eileen Fisher. And Eileen Fisher has a division of their company where they take back their clothing. And so when they take back the clothing, it's either in really good shape and they just resell it in their Eileen Fisher Renew store. Or if it needs to be upcycled, then we're part of that upcycle effort. And so then we'll overdye the clothes, typically in indigo. That seems to be the one that's the most popular. And then the third stream that they have is called Waste No More. And Waste No More takes the garments that are unusable to either be upcycled or resold. And they create new fabric from it. And they're using this fabric as either create accessories or to do interiors, home goods, things that they can now refashion this panel of fabric that they've remade through felting and make another product from it. And they just did a collaboration with West Elm that has cushions and upholstered furniture and all sorts of things out of this remade fabric it's it's really interesting yeah so there's eileen fisher the main line Mm -hmm. eileen fisher renew and then waste no more so cool so you do work with them Mm -hmm. and the indigo mostly works and is that is that what are the big challenges there you know we've worked out most of the kinks i would say that just the volume was a little bit much for us in the beginning but now we sort of have the techniques down so we're able to process much more efficiently that's so So, cool yeah it's a really great program and it usually launches around earth day every year and then your second question about scalability and feasibility really so i think it's a convergence of a bunch of different initiatives i don't think that you look at natural dyes and say you know natural dyes are going to conquer the world and save us all from global warming because (laughs) that's not really a true statement i think what is going to happen and has to happen is that companies are going to start looking at how can they do the least amount of harm with the products that they're creating. And so that includes just standard chemical companies. I think people are going to start to get really picky about what's on their fabric and how the fabric's made and who made it and under what conditions. We've seen these movements begin to start. So you have like a social component to the things that you wear. And then the second thing that's going to happen, this is just what I think is going to happen. Things will become cleaner. The processing will use less water and less energy, and then also have fewer additives on the back end that as a consumer, when you wash them, you end up, you know, putting stuff into the water that sometimes they can't take out. So you want Mm -hmm. to be able to not have to do that at all. And then I think natural dyes has a place in this whole convergence of many, many different 
variable. So it's not really even a Venn diagram. It's sort of like a big spirograph of all of these things that are going to be converging in order to create a better impact. So that's where I see it on the kind of the brand slash processing side. Clearly, what I've also seen that I've, I, is really exciting for me is that there are now new technologies in dyeing that are being applied using natural dyes. Used to be that every time a new technology came around, you know, the mainstream dyes would be used and they would, you know, perfect the techniques on that. But I, I am starting to see R&D where they're doing specific types of dye processes you know they're using onion skins or they're using lac or they're using matter root and things that normally they weren't using before because they're not only just looking at how do you take the dye and apply it to the fiber they're also looking about okay so then when the fiber is done at the end of its life what's the impact there and so if you have a natural dye as your colorant the impact is a different impact than if you have a synthetic dye that is certainly encouraging, that kind of R&D. Also, along with that, I guess you get you get an opportunity for growers. Like, as you were saying, you're, you're cultivating growers in the Pacific Northwest now. But, like, for instance, an onion farmer could, you know, sell a bunch of the yellow onion skins as a value-added thing. And mm-hmm. if that's becoming more mainstream, and that could be another uh, revenue stream for farmers. What else? What else would be a byproduct of something like that, I guess? You know, like Again, there's, there's like food colorants. And when I say food yeah. colorants, what I'm talking about is something that has a deep color, but also doesn't need to be washed and <laughs> exposed to yeah. sunlight, right? Because a lot of food colors are, are somewhat fugitive, because you're going to eat the thing, right? If you're coloring a strawberry yogurt with a little bit of a, you know, pink from, from grape skins or beets or whatever, it, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter because it's kept cold. It's kept in an opaque container and you eat it within, you know, 90 days kind of thing. So right. that's a different colorant kind of category. And there's, I think there's lots of opportunities for that. And right. I, I believe also that that industry is is pretty well established and sophisticated so they're definitely looking at it if they haven't already looked at it on the textile side it's really we're looking for dyes that are much more robust or if they aren't you know that they have some other quality that makes them desirable for somebody to want to use them and it could be that certain dyes are kind of more popular in the craft market than they are in let's say the apparel market so you're, right. you're kind of, you know, sorting the dyes and their performance based on who is the end user. Which dyes do you see as being more popular with the crafters versus? Well, okay. So I have like this total soft spot for flower dyes, right? Uh-huh. But they're not very light fast and they're not very wash fast, but they're just so fun to work with. And so I could see that people who are making, you know, something to wear for the summer maybe they want to use flower dyes in order to dye that garment but knowing that probably within a year it might be a little faded and they're going to have to dye it again as opposed Uh to a typical apparel company will will tell us you know it has to be able to go through x number of laundries it has to be able to um, not fade uh, or change color or there's a lot of parameters they have that are basically designed for synthetic dyes. But because there's no other standard, natural dyes also have to get 
to meet those same parameters. So it's, it's very challenging. So I wouldn't ever talk to like a brand and say, well, you, you ought to use Dyer's chamomile you know? <laughs> yeah. or rose petals or something like that, because they're not, the consumer is not going to understand well, that's so interesting. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because part of what we feel like we do is is educate people on what to expect with this sort of thing. And we even, you know, the socks you were referring to that I dye and have been pretty popular. We put a note in those <laughs> and said, Let, you know, let's tell you about these. These are natural dyes. The color might be a little bit uneven. Um, you know, you might see some fading. If you don't like that, send them back. That's not yeah. what you expected. We'll take them back. But, you know, this is a natural dye. And, you know, if you, if you see some crocking, if it comes up on your skin, then maybe wash it a few times. But if you're not happy, you know, we'll take it back. But just to expect, you know, what you just said, this is not a synthetic dye. You know, it hasn't been like tested in a lab and washed 20 times and all that. This is a, a craft and this is a beautiful thing. And, right. And, and it's from a That's plant. what it is. And the yeah. plant was doing a whole lot of other things yeah. besides just <laughs> exactly. being a dye, right? But when you look at a no synthetic kidding. dye, a synthetic dye is only a synthetic dye. And it's right. only for a specific fiber. So reactive yeah. dyes only for cellulose, right? Acid dyes only for uh, protein fibers, that kind of a thing. So the plant is so much more a huge opportunity. It could be a medicine. It could yeah. be a color. It could be a, a food or an herb. I mean, there's just the secret in this this color and these dyes. And we're still discovering all that. Yeah. And we want people to appreciate that or at least to understand that, you know, and and you know, you have a choice to incorporate these things in your life or not. Just know what you're getting and know what you're dealing with. And it's exactly it's not what you're gonna go and get in Target. It's just it's a totally different thing. And so your expectations should be different as well. Then people don't have to get excited about it either. It's just this is what you're gonna get. There's a great yeah. quote from Jason Logan. So he says a couple things. He's talking about natural ink making, and he says, ink is alive. Stop worrying about how long your color will last in its current state and start delighting in the way that it changes. That's and I just perfect. thought, oh, what a fantastic philosophy as he makes ink, because if you look at this picture, the ink starts one way and he adds something to it and it, it changes into something else. And, and that's what he loves about ink. And so... I always thought that was such a great way of looking at the work that he does. That is so beautiful. Yeah. And when you think about it, like if you are consuming things and, and wearing things and eating things that are natural and, you know, we're once alive or are alive, however you want to look at it, like something that's living is constantly changing like to live is to change and it had that has like real energy to it and when you're wearing and eating and surrounding yourself with synthetic things I mean not to like hate on everything synthetic like thank goodness for science and they help with a lot of stuff but it's just a different way of being it's it's there's a no energy and it's dead and it's if it's not changing then it's not alive just a different way of interacting, I guess, with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just a choice, a choice of, you know, how you're going to interact with your surroundings. And, and I think the more you discover these sort of using and living with and in and on these living things, it has a different energy to it. And it's, it's very exciting. Back in the summer, when during the Indigo workshop with Abu Abubakar. Abu Bakar. 
he talked about, you know, the energy of the indigo plant and, you know, how it was in the fabric and they used it, you know, they gave it to babies for good luck and they used it for different life rituals and even for burials. And I think that tells a story about like what we're talking about. Like these, these plants add an element to the, the object or the material or, or whatever it is. It's just another dimension mm-hmm. that we've kind of gotten away from in our, our, our world of all these, you know, low cost synthetic goods that we've learned to depend upon. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's fun and interesting and kind of an adventure to learn about it, maybe incorporate into your daily life, like the, the naturally dyed plants. And like we've had, again, about the socks, <laughs> people will reach out and say, I just love these socks. They just feel so good. <laughs> or, you know, people like talk about the delight of these socks and like, how are they that different? It's just socks. Well, it has this natural dye in it. It's been done by hand, no plastics, all that sort of thing. People notice. Kathy, what's your favorite thing to do in the, in the natural dye process, what, whether it's a, it's a dye that you love to work with or a particular maybe process that you like to do with your job? What's your favorite thing about what you do? Oh, I always like to see what comes out of the dye pot because most of the time I have an idea of what we're going to get, especially in a workshop, you know, because you're sort of under pressure and you're trying to guide people with what you believe are super clear instructions, but you can tell by the expression on their faces that you're not making any sense to them. Get them to the point where everything's in the dye pot and we're just waiting. And so it's that moment of when the color really begins to hit the fiber or the fabric that I am always really excited about because you actually don't kind of know until it's out what it's going to look like and so and there's these nuances you know if you change the yarn type then something changes there if their water can impact it it's just variables that are beyond your control so then it's really great to always see the results that's so true and you know I feel like part of it is because I'm kind of a newbie at it and so I never how to get the same thing twice (laughs) you know I see something I really like I want to do that again and I think I'm repeating the steps the same way and it it doesn't turn out and so it is it's a constant surprise and it's delightful and it's kind of like cooking you know when you decide to substitute brown sugar for granulated sugar and then you're like oh you know you didn't realize what an impact it was going to have one time I really got a color I really liked and I did the exact same thing again, and but I used a different pot mm. and it turned out so differently and I couldn't realize what in the world happened. And I noticed later on that it was an enamel pot and in the bottom of the enamel pot, there was this tiny little piece of paint had flaked off and there was a little bit of rust in the bottom. Mm. So it had totally changed the whole thing. Right. And I thought, isn't that interesting like this little unseen thing and I, I kind of loved that I mean it was a such a molecule <laughs> just like boy it doesn't take much iron does it to smidge <laughs> so tell the listeners what we're talking about with the iron the saddening that's fascinating oh so saddening is kind of an old term I always associate it with colonial dying or you know dying in the 17th century it's 
where you use iron in order to change the color of your base dye and it will make things we say darker and we mean darker such as like grayer not more saturated so like if you use a red you're not going to get a darker deeper red you're going to get a purple ish color so it kind of grays things out and it was used in order to create a kind of a second palette so if you had a, a strong yellow a good red and some browns or tans with the yellow you could get kind of a greenish yellow color with the red you could get sort of a purpley shade and then with the browns you could get grays and almost blacks if you combined a couple of the different dyes so it was a way to extend the palette. It was cheap. It was easy. But yeah, iron is very aggressive. So I always use it very, very, very sparingly. And it happens really fast, instantly. Quick. So it's very interesting. It gets into the alchemy aspect of the whole thing, which is fascinating. That's right. Kathy, very, have you seen an uptick in orders or interest since the pandemic? The short answer is yes. It's been kind of crazy actually because you know Seattle was one of the first regions that actually had a large coronavirus problem That's like right. it started in February and by the end of February we were already isolating because we didn't really understand what was going on with it mm -hmm. and then by mid-March we were locked down so we have two studios one's upstairs and one's downstairs so I could work upstairs and someone else could work downstairs and we would be socially distanced because of that there was just one person doing like orders and so at first I hadn't really been doing orders before you know so I didn't really know like how many and then all of a sudden it was just a lot and and the other thing that happened was that some of my good friends who are artists and instructors, all of their events were canceled. Mm. And so then we had to kind of come up with some ideas on how exactly can we sort of stay afloat during this time. And, and so we ended up doing a number of different workshops and events and things like that. And that's where Feedback Friday was born because like we didn't really understand the transmission or how people were getting it or anything. So it, we were just like stuck. So like, why don't we get on, you know, we didn't even know what Zoom was, right? But then once <laughs> I saw Zoom, I was like, oh yeah, okay, we can do this kind of stuff. That they, Feedback Friday is really cool. It means so much to my mom, I know. I mean, you're so generous with your information and on that. And then, you know, you, people can see it live or they can go on and see the tape later. And it's, I, I highly, highly recommend it to anybody that's, interested in this at all and that your topics are so varied and it's it's really a great offering well you know what is so amazing is that a lot of the people that are our speakers i've known them i've admired them and i've never ever had the opportunity to kind of be with them right yeah because everybody was either in a conference or they're teaching or they're traveling or they have an exhibit but the pandemic has made everybody kind of just stop and, yeah, and be available. <laughs> we would just put out these feelers and they were like, yes. And I thought, what? Really? It's just been amazing to see the people that have been willing to just kind of hang out for an hour on Friday to talk about their work. And, you know, we also realized that 
the community really wants to try to support the people that are speaking. So if they have, you know, things that they are selling or if they have a website, then we always try to make sure that people are aware of that. Hopefully that's helping because it's still very, very tenuous for us, at least until the vaccine is more widely available. I wanted to ask you, like, do you have a, like a big room with several like dye pots in it and people are in there working? You mean What's the your production setup? studio? Yeah. Tell us about your production oh, studio. That's what I want to ask. It's really elementary. We have a big studio, you know, we have small volume dye machines. We have shelving units where there's these boxes and boxes and boxes of customers' products. And then we have kind of like our color library where we have whatever colors we've developed for them. And then a bunch of work tables. And so basically stuff comes out of the boxes, gets sorted, inventoried. And then we start it through its process. So the process would be we have to scour their fabric or their goods. Then we mordant it and then we dye it. And then we just keep doing that. And how many of you are in there doing this, the dying part? One. One. Social distance. Mm. Aha. Okay. My yeah. goodness gracious. That's it's a lot hard. Of... <laughs> it's very yeah, hard. I know it's very physical. That's interesting. From now on, I'll picture you in y'all studio and those <laughs> one at a time dipping and yeah something. It's, it's pretty crazy just because typically in order to like be as efficient as possible there's three people but now we're at one person like last wow. night I I had to work with one other person just to do a really quick project and we both were wearing respirators <gasps> not oh. masks respirators you know we just can't take the chance right now yeah it's sort of a playful question to see what people come up with. Can you talk about the connection between natural plant dyes and good dirt? However you want to interpret good dirt or think about good dirt. So it's a pretty fundamental connection, actually. It's like okay. you can't have one without the other. Uh -huh. And the other thing that I have to say about having really great soil to grow plants is that it's becoming more widely known that good soil traps carbon. As you are growing plants, the plants will absorb carbon from the atmosphere. And then if there's a, a robust root system and microbe system below, then it will hold it. And so, of course, we're at a moment now in crisis where there's too much carbon in the air and that any plant and all plants have to be able to pull it into the soil and keep it there. And so I just started reading this book called All We Can Save. Have you heard of it? I've been no. seeing it. I really want to read it. I'm writing that down. The two editors are, one is a marine biologist and the other one is a climate scientist who works for Project Drawdown. And so they're all focused on like, how do you deal with this? But this book is by women, scientists, women, activists, people of color, you know, traditional, traditional approaches to climate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, I think there's like 50 or 60 different contributors and there's, there's poetry, there's essays. It's, it's intense. But yeah, so in reading kind of up to this book and understanding a little bit more about what's going on with how we take soil and nurture soil so soil can 
can hold carbon. This is like probably super, super important. And it's actually one of the activities that we can do that everything is already there. It's really kind of tweaking how we take care of the land. And when we had Lonnie Estill from Bear Ranch on Feedback Friday, her ranch is one of the places that is actively trying to trap carbon in order to sequester it. And so she's working with all these different agencies in order to grow the things that will trap carbon as well as graze her animals in a way that will promote, you know, good stewardship. So it's it's very exciting to me that that's how good dirt is so apropos right now. Yes. Yes. We actually made a lady farmer scarf out of Lonnie's uh, Lonnie fabric. Lonnie fabric, one of our community-supported cloth, you know, that she uh-huh. does. Yeah. And we got to tell people the story, that story you just told about mm-hmm. how they um, sequester the carbon in their soil through their sheep farming and how it's measurable. They have data on it. If you go to the Fibershed website, they have an infographic about how many farms are participating in this project and what yeah. the potential carbon drawdown is, it's pretty impressive. I, I realize it's super cutting edge for, you know, something like agribusiness, right? They're going to be looking at this and it's going to be with a bit of a, you know, it's not going to be as easy for them to convert, but there's many, many ways of starting this conversion. And I think the other thing that's really interesting about it is it brings a new generation into farming because, you know, the average age of a farmer is what, 59 or 60 years old. If you're looking at a farm or is growing as a way of land stewardship in order to help save the planet, it just, it just completely reframes what you're doing. Give me goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of the younger people are really passionate about climate issues and that might've never thought about being a farmer, but uh, we even have a friend in Virginia and you ask, you know, he's a farmer say, what do you farm? And he says, I'm I'm a carbon farmer. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is a thing. You know, this is the purpose of it. So it's very exciting. My last question that we'll we'll wrap up with is, what is it that you most want listeners to know about what you do? You know, we are here to help people incorporate the plant world into their wardrobes. So, you know, any project, any level, it's something that you can do at home. You can do it if you're a producer, you could do it for your studio work. If you're a brand, you could do it for the clothing that you make. Because I don't think there's been a more important time for us to really begin to realize and recognize that so much of what we do has consequences that we don't want. And we have to start consciously choosing the things that will help. And so growing dyes and helping a farmer or dyeing things with plants using solar energy, using low water techniques, all of these are within the, the reach of almost any craft dyer around. So we want to be able to help people understand that and use it and love it as much as we do. That's wonderful. That and you a do a wonderful fantastic. job of that. <laughs> yes, that's Thank a you. fantastic answer. Yeah, what you just said about thinking of the consequences of all of our choices, it's 
central to our mission at Lady Farmer. And not in a not in a scary like everything's ruining no. the world way, but in the opposite in the empowering way and like look at what you difference just, you can make. You can, you can start and the other thing, you know, I have to say that before I started reading All We Can Save, I was pretty much in despair about how do I deal with the impacts of the climate crisis. I mean, what is it that I could possibly do? There's nothing, right? And this has given me hope that there are things that I can do and I am going to do and I can't not do, right? At this point, we cannot not do it. We have to do it. Mm -hmm. And so that's what's kind of keeping me going. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm going to get this book. I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to go on our list. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Kathy. It's just been so lovely. We've had a professional relationship for a while now, but I've never seen your face. Yes. Oh, really? Well, I've seen your face, but not in real time talking to oh, it. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. No, but I mean, you had Amy as your first. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's such a connector. She's been she's been the topic of many a, a podcast because <laughs> we just know so many people through Amy. She's an angel. It's true. It's like the center of the universe kind of people. Yeah. She's definitely one of them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We have yes. little show notes. When we start talking about Amy, this is who we're talking about. Go to episode one. <laughs> yeah. Episode one and 14. And yeah. <laughs> well, um, thank you for your time. Yeah. And I oh, look forward to pleasure. hopefully my working pleasure. more with you in the future. So Kathy, where can people find you and follow you and what sort of things should they look out for from Botanical Colors? Uh, we have a website for um, lots of information there, all of our how-to instructions, um, products to purchase. Uh, we have a blog. We have our Feedback Friday videos, and that is botanicalcolors.com. We are also active on Instagram, and Instagram is at botanicalcolors. You should just be prepared to be surprised all next year. Awesome. Because <laughs> we're going to find all sorts of fun things for us to do while we're waiting for vaccine. <laughs> and before we can open up and be gathered together again, we'll have lots of things available for people so they can still learn and be with us. And are those Feedback Fridays, are those on IG Live or are they on, is it like a Zoom call you go into the... Um, they're a Zoom call, and so we're in the process of transferring them to YouTube. Okay. So they will be on YouTube, but right now they are living on the website, and you just click on the tile of the subject that you want, and it, it just launches the video. Cool. Yeah. Amazing resource. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, you guys. It was so amazing to talk to you, and such you an too. honor. Thank you, Kathy, for bringing the magical world of natural dyes to us in such an accessible way. For all of you listening, I encourage you to go to the website, botanicalcolors.com, and peruse all of the fantastic information that's offered there for free, including the amazing weekly Feedback Friday feature, where all of the natural dye experts come to demonstrate their craft and answer your questions. These sessions are not only free to join, but they remain on the website for you to refer to at any time. And I can't emphasize enough that if this is something that interests you, Botanical Colors is your resource. So go there. Yay, we love Botanical Colors at Lady Farmer. 
this is the part of the show where I remind you that if you're enjoying the good dirt, please share it with a friend. If you're not already following us on Instagram, our handle is we are Lady Farmer. We'd love to have you there. And like we mentioned, uh, enrollment for the Almanac is currently open, but it's closing. So we open for two weeks every season. And so it's a short window to jump in and join us. And that's so that we can have a more collective experience together as we move through the seasons. So we hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next week. Goodbye.